The African-American actor Wendell Pierce, well-known for The Wire. Does anybody here watch the HBO show The Wire? It's a really good show. <laughs> well, he's a good actor anyway. And he wrote in his memoir about the strong impression that his father Amos made in his life growing up in New Orleans. Amos, as he describes him, was a strong and faithful man, the sort of person that Wendell knew he could always count on. Amos fought in the Second World War and was awarded no fewer than six medals for bravery. But when he was discharged after the war, his papers hadn't come through yet, and the white officer processing him didn't believe that a black man could have been awarded six medals, and so he sent him home without any. Like many veterans, Amos just never talked about this. And it was only as an adult that Wendell found out. Wendell was able to arrange for the medals to be finally awarded in a ceremony over 60 years after the war was over. Wendell described that day in these words. He wrote, Black veterans like my dad loved the country that persecuted them and treated them like the enemy. To me, that is a version of supreme patriotism. On the day he finally received his medals, he said nothing at the formal ceremony, but in the gala afterward, he decided that he wanted to offer a few words to the crowd. He hobbled over to the microphone, and despite his hearing loss, spoke with ringing clarity. I want you all to remember those who didn't come back. I want to dedicate this night to them, he said. So many who fought didn't even have a chance to live their lives. I was given that chance, as difficult as my life has been. Daddy thanked the audience for the honor, saying he was not bitter for having been denied the medals for so long. He was simply grateful to have them now. Then he paused. It took all of his strength to stand as erect as possible at the podium. He saluted crisply and said, God bless America. Wendell continues, that's when I lost it. For someone not to be debilitated by pain and anger and embarrassment after all he had been through, who fought for this country when this country didn't love him and wouldn't fight for him, to come back from war and still have to fight for the right to vote and the right to go into any establishment he wanted to, well, that made me think of the vow he had made to me as a child. No matter what, son, I will never abandon you. I had never known a greater man than that old soldier on the night he received his due. Well, I tell that story this morning because I thought that it was a beautiful illustration of what Ruth calls Hesed, generous kindness, merciful and steadfast faithfulness. Last week in our Ruth sermon series, we focused on the bitterness of Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. And this week, our reading zeroes in on the remarkably generous faithfulness of Ruth. You may well know Micah uh, chapter 6, verse 8. It's one of the most quoted verses in the whole Bible. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? But what does that really mean? 
Well, the word translated here is kindness, and in other translations as mercy or doing good faith, is the same word that we encounter over and over again in Ruth. I said, the theologian Stephen Fowle writes that one way to understand Ruth is as a story that shows us what Hesed really looks like. What we see in Ruth's unexpected act of love and fidelity to Naomi is the kind of Hesed that we also saw in Amos Pierce. It goes beyond all expectation. It's more than what justice requires. It's the kind of commitment, no matter what, that we simply don't always see in human affairs. There are all kinds of reasons not to make the kind of commitments, the kind of sacrifices that Ruth and Amos made, and there are all kinds of reasons not to expect them. Yet, what we see in the story of Ruth is that it's these kinds of faithful commitments, come what may, that God uses to change the world. Wendell, in his memoir, didn't put what his father did in theological terms, but instead he shows us at the medal ceremony how he was overcome by the depth of his father's faithfulness and grace. Amos Pierce made a faithful, sacrificial, selfless commitment to his country, even when his country refused to give him the honor that justice deserved. Not just his well-earned medals, but the basic rights of a citizen worthy of respect. And Wendell recognized in this the same kind of commitment, no matter what, that his father had made to him. No matter what, son, I will never abandon you. Here Wendell was, a wealthy, well-respected actor on television every week. And there was his dad, a man who'd never had a lot, who'd had to fight for every inch, who only now, as an old man, was getting the honor he deserved. And he wasn't bitter about it. He was actually grateful. Well, that's far more than what justice requires. It's grace, generous faithfulness, sacrificial mercy. It's the kind of quality that Wendell knew he owed his life to. When Micah 6.8 talks about loving kindness and mercy, it means a lot more than just being nice and polite. It's the kind of thing that might cost your life. This is the kind of commitment that Ruth makes to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. The passage is often read at weddings, and for good reason, although you don't usually hear that last part about death included. But if we leave that part out, I think we'll miss a great deal of the power of what Ruth is saying. Remember from last week, that Naomi is in a state of deep bitterness after the death of her husband and her two sons, and it's affected her perspective on the world, understandably. Call me not no longer Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. And when she gets back to Israel, she tells her old friends, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Of course, we can understand why she feels this way. But I can also understand how Ruth might be feeling. How if I were Ruth, I might feel if I heard that. Well, what am I, chopped liver? You're telling everyone you came back here empty, but what about me? Don't I count? I left my family and my home to go with you, and you don't even seem to notice that I'm here. It can't have been easy for Ruth, I think, who was giving her whole life to someone who at this point doesn't seem to have really been capable of loving her back. That alone must have been hard for Ruth, who, let's not forget, has just lost her husband and said goodbye to her family, her friends, and her home. But on top of that, Ruth must have expected that being a Moabite woman in Israel was not going to be easy. The whole story is set in the time of the Judges. And if you read Judges, an entertaining book, you find out that there had been a period when the part of Israel where Naomi was from had been ruled by the king of Moab, who was then killed using the John by an Israelite named Ehud. Gives you that detail. After that, Israel ruled Moab for many years, and there's a passage in Deuteronomy that says that the people of Moab are to be excluded from the assembly of the Lord for ten generations. It's not hard to look at these bits of history and imagine Moab and Israel as being something like Ireland and Northern Ireland during the Troubles, or indeed Israel today and the Palestinians in the West Bank. In short... There are all kinds of reasons for a Moabite woman to expect that Israel will not be a place where she will be welcomed with open arms. She very likely won't find a husband there. She won't have any more children. She very likely won't even be physically safe. Naomi was absolutely right to tell Ruth that it would be better if you stayed in Moab, Ruth. But even in the face of all of this, Ruth said to Naomi, Now I'm coming with you. I'm committed to you, come what may. Ruth was throwing away every rational hope she had in life for a family and a better life simply because she loved her mother-in-law. She had every reason to expect that the future in store for her was an early death, buried next to Naomi somewhere far That, my friends, is Hesed. That's what the Bible says generous kindness and sacrificial faithfulness looks like. Grace beyond all measure and commitment beyond all reason. That's loving kindness, like Micah 6.8. We don't see it yet in the story, but God begins to use what Ruth does here to change not only Naomi's life, but also Ruth's life to give them both a future and a hope. You may have seen a survey reported in the news about how my poor generation, the millennials, are less likely, it turns out, to commit to God, family, and country than any previous generation. It says that we're often spiritual searchers, but are wary to commit to any particular church and stay there for the long haul. We fall in love, of course, but fewer and fewer of us get married and have kids. We want to make a difference and believe in something, but we're 
wary of making a commitment to the country and the community that we live in. And you know, as a millennial, I do get it. There are lots of reasons not to make, to be afraid of making, the kinds of lifelong commitments that our grandparents made. We might look at the church and see the sexual abuse scandals, or hypocritical leaders, or shallow answers, and we think, do I really want to commit to that? We're often children of divorce, and we know how difficult it can be to raise a family, and we think, do I really want to make a commitment that I may not be strong enough to keep? Politicians today aren't exactly covering themselves in glory, so many institutions of American life feel broken, and the systemic problems of so many neighborhoods run so deep. And we think to ourselves, do I really want to commit myself to making a difference? Will this country or this community love me back? This family? This church? I think that the voice of reason and strict justice whispers in our ears and says, just leave it all behind. Let them get what they deserve. You're going to have enough problems looking out for yourself. It's easier to leave the marriage that's struggling or to not get married in the first place. To leave the church or to stop caring about your country or your community because what's the use? Well, Amos Pierce could have said that, couldn't he? Ruth could have said it too. It's the voice of bitterness, despair. And it must be admitted that bitterness sometimes has a good case to make for itself. But bitterness heals nothing and no one. And it leaves us alone, without hope and without a future to build together. Naomi was choosing the path of bitterness. But Ruth set her heart and her life in a different direction. Where you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. Ruth did this knowing full well what kind of response she was likely to get from Naomi and Naomi's people. Yet she did it anyway, with a heart full of generous, sacrificial she went to Israel knowing full well that what she was likely to find there was suffering, rejection, and death. I said last week that Ruth is in the line of David, which means that she's also in the line of Christ. I wonder if you can see by now how Ruth is actually like Jesus, and how Jesus is like Ruth the one who went to Israel and found suffering and rejection and death. Ruth had every reason to think that by giving her life away to an Israelite woman and the people of Israel, she was making a sacrifice that would lead only to suffering and death. But as we'll start to see next week, that is not what happens when you give your life to the God of Israel. When you give your life to Him, 
you get your life back again. New life and a new future spring up from the bitter ashes of suffering and death. Because Jesus walked the way of the cross, the way of Hesed, faithful, gracious commitment to his people no matter what, when we, like Ruth, walk the way of the cross too, what we'll find on the other side of it is not just death, but healing, new life, and redemption. Just like the God of Israel, the Redeemer, gave to Ruth. So whatever it is for you, whether it's committing to the struggling kids in the school where, you're te where you teach, committing to the person you're falling in love with now, or recommitting to the person you fell in love with years ago, committing to your family, your church, your neighborhood, your country. May you and I, by God's grace, have the courage, the faith, and the steadfast love to follow Ruth's footsteps in our lives today.